Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. Are you sure this is Grilling with JR? I'm pretty sure. Because, you know, I get confused sometimes on what show I'm on, things like that. Oh, yeah. gosh, listen to you. <laughs> yeah, boy, you oh. had an uh, eventful week last week, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I got, got excited for about 20 minutes. <laughs> before everything everybody moved on to something else so uh yeah <laughs> i don't know what uh i don't i don't know much more i can say than i said when i addressed it i made a mistake it was inadvertent uh and i'm, I'm very sorry i did it obviously it was embarrassing but then all of a sudden out of that what was that about a one or two second bite yeah Here's what's here's what comes out of that for some wrestling fans. And I say some wrestling fans, because I'm still a devotee of our business. Yeah. I have great respect for the fans. They've supported my efforts, uh, undeniably for years. And you know, through Jan's death, they leave in WWE. See, there's that word again, uh, whatever it may be, they've always stood fast. So I think that the criticisms I've received have been from a vast minority of, uh, of uh, defiant young males or, and some females who, uh, ascertain these points, Conrad, now, this is real important. Uh, I've had a stroke, which by the way, I've never had a stroke, but that's been diagnosed on the internet from, uh, from my little opa. I've had a stroke. Uh, and I've had a bout of Bell's palsy. I've actually had three bouts of Bell's palsy, <coughs> pardon me, three bouts of Bell's palsy, uh, that I am, uh, onset dementia <laughs> and the, which wouldn't surprise me, quite frankly, it's going to happen to everybody in some ways or another, but man, I got everything on that thing from people wanting me to die. Yeah, to, man. You know, the thing about that is. Here's what's sad about this deal. It's not about my, my mispronouncing It's this is a much bigger issue in my opinion. And that's all this is folks. My opinion, you don't have to listen to it, but I assume you kind of want to, or you wouldn't be here with me and Conrad today. Accurate. So, uh, it's just a, it's the flavor of the country right now. You know, before we started recording, you and I chatted about this momentarily and you have some very good points. Uh, it's just where we are. And it's sad. Well, I don't know what you call it. Uh, the count counterculture cancel culture. I don't know what the, where the fuck it is. I don't even know. Gotcha is what I call it. I mean, yeah. if anybody deserves, you know, a mulligan, is it not the guy who's done it for <laughs> decades and decades and decades so much so that we refer to him and he now owns the trademark to the voice of wrestling, a hall of famer, our elder, and most importantly, someone that we all sort of consider a friendly voice, you know, nobody, nobody ever runs into good old Jr. at the barbecue joint or the airport. Okay. Maybe not the airport, but JR's <laughs> like the, the, he's your next door neighbor. He's like everybody's right. uncle. And when he says what one, one word incorrectly, oh, get rid of him. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, go listen to the alternative, any other show, go listen to any other show. And by the way, it would have been better if JR was on it. And that's not just my opinion. That's the opinion of a lot of wrestling fans. And I don't know. I just thought it was a little over the top 
the cancel culture, the, the gotcha that came your way. Yeah. It was a little, uh, rugged. The, the thing about it is that people quote misinformation. Yeah. And, and with, without any, uh, thought there's no conscience involved. So it, it's not the fact that I might get this right. If I say jr has got onset dementia, but then what is you are wrong? How do you, how do you, how do you pull that back in? Well, it's out there. So you don't pull it back in. So it was an interesting week and look, bottom line guys, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I still work every week to get better at my job. Uh, but I can tell you that, uh, this was all on me and, you know, we had had a hell of a show, you know, that Guevara MJF match was a, was a was outstanding. One of the better matches I've called in years and years, but the whole show was strong, but yeah. the close of the show, Conrad, those two young kids, both in their mid twenties, uh, knew cause I talked to them. They knew the responsibility of closing this show and how important it was for everybody surrounding them, everybody in the locker room for our fans to go out there and deliver because I had the sense that leading into that last match, Conrad, and I think I'm right on this and I, and I may be, uh, a very, very too biased speaking of this deal, but I, I thought that we had a really strong show leading up to that main event. Yeah that whoever's going to close, you better lace them up because people are expecting greatness. And I think that's what those two guys delivered. Yeah. So anyway, so we're going to go to Austin next week. I might get booed there too. Maybe there'll be some signs. <laughs> I've had, I've had negative JR signs in Austin. They don't like to hear boomer sooner there. They hear yeah. so much of, they hear so much Conrad in the second Saturday in October in the old cotton bowl. Cause that's, we play that when we score and you know what that means. They're going to hear it so, a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to Austin, great city. As a matter of fact, a classy place and, uh, it's sold out. So the good news there is it's sold out. And the good news for me is I ain't got no tickets. So Conrad, people ask you for tickets to think you just can get yes, something somehow. They do. Yeah. Me too. Now here's and, the deal though. Uh, we both know a friend if they're available, but if they're not available, kind of is what it is, man. And from what I yeah. understand, tickets are going like crazy for you guys right now. Fans are excited. You're back on the road. Yeah, it is. It's been great. And so thus far, not much of a, uh, sample size, but you know, the, if he is, if we look at it on the, uh, ticket sales, then it's, 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 it's going to be very successful. You know, uh, Raphael Morphy books, these buildings, right. routes them and all that stuff. Raphael, he, he stays here at my place here in, uh, in West, in West, I sort of say West Palm. See, they're anywhere I live. I've got early onset dementia and probably a- engine, I don't know, in China. You had some of that uh, this past weekend, but that's another story <laughs> for another day. We're excited that's, that y'all are back on the road. Shout out to Raphael for setting up such good, uh, he's a man feels like all of a sudden, man, everywhere you go, you guys are hot, hot, hot. And the pandemic is over and thankfully, uh, better days are here, but that is not the case for our show topic today. Oh, this is widely regarded as one of the worst wrestling pay-per-views of all time, (laughs) 
But thank you, know. you, Conrad, for building me up and then kicking me right in the balls. It's not your fault. <laughs> Boy, the news is is all over when we're talking about Great American Bash ninety one. We sort of teased it up and teed it up last week. This is the first show without Ric Flair. Ric yep. Flair has been fired on uh, July first by Bill Hurd. He's no longer in WCW. That'd be Jim Hurd. Oh yeah, sorry. But Bill Watts would have not fired him, so you'll know. You know what's funny is Bill Hurd was the biggest uh, car dealer here in Alabama for years and years, and I just made Bill Watts and Jim Hurd have a baby, and now they're a Chevy dealer. <laughs> Bill Hurd. Anyway, so the the story, uh, and we've beat this up. And by the way, there's a I'm pretty proud of it. A, a really nice interview with Jim Hurd for the first time in decades over at AdFreeShows.com. It's excellent. Thank you. Highly recommend it, Conrad. Highly recommend. And I know the guy probably about as well as anybody from my, from my time working for him that doesn't have a, a, some guys still hate the guy and I find that unhealthy. Yeah, I agree. You're, you're shitting me. You're hating. You hate a guy that you hadn't worked with in 30 decades. years, 30 yeah. years. Yeah. And is that what you got stored in your head? You're carrying that shit around. Okay. Well, to each his own. I feel the exact same way. Uh, I had a great time visiting with him. We got to ask him some questions and sort of hear his side of the story. Can't recommend it enough over at adfreeshows.com, but boy, we've got to talk about the chaos as we head into this. I mean, is this probably peak Jim Hurd chaos, the whole Ric Flair walking out while he's the champ deal? Well, if this isn't, it's ranked right there. Uh, yeah, it was pretty chaotic. It was a tough place to work in and have fun. About the only, the, the most fun we had quite honestly was doing these live shows, uh, TV days or Oak were, they were, they were insufferable getting to that day, but once you got there and you got involved, you know, it wasn't bad, uh, cause all the stupid decisions were made before television, but yeah, it was, a, it was chaotic. It was chaotic and things. You could almost feel things unraveling with no solution based on the hand that was there in sight. We're fresh off of a clash of the champions that was headlined by Ric Flair and Bobby Eaton. Uh, we want to talk about Bobby here in a moment, but for now, let's talk about him in the context of 1991. It's the second lowest rated clash ever. At that point, the quote unquote, smart fans knew that Bobby Eaton was one of the best in ring performers around. Uh, he had just set the territory on fire five or six years prior to this with the midnight express. And now he's in here with his old pal, Rick flair, of course, the best friend of Arn Anderson. These are Arn's two very best friends in wrestling at this point, but fans weren't tuned in for it. Was it just, you know, we had sort of typecast Bobby to wrestling fans at home as he's a tag team wrestler. So he can't compete with flair. Well, Bobby wasn't hot. Right. I mean, simple as that. Uh, nobody can ever intelligently debate the skills of Bobby. Right. If you talk to the, to the boys about if they had a big match or they need to go out and deliver a, a really special performance, I promise you, Bobby Eaton would come up in that conversation as their opponent, as their opponent without question, but he, ha he, he had no momentum. He had no traction. He couldn't cut his promos. There's a lot of things that are working against Bobby in that deal. Here's what you didn't know for sure. That there was not a lot of magic in the box office. 
but you knew that when the bell rang, it was going to be solid as hell. It's going to be good. That's what you knew for sure. But uh, people just didn't have an emotional investment in the rivalry or the match and, uh, or Bob and Bobby had no momentum. Those are all death nails. It's, uh, it's a weird time for WCW as a whole, but let's, let's circle back to talk about Bobby for a minute, because you and I both got some sad news in the last, I don't know, week or so, 10 days or so. Unfortunately, we lost Bobby Eaton's longtime wife, Donna Eaton, uh, who was the daughter of superstar Bill Dundee and Bobby and Donna were sort of a rarity in the wrestling business married for a long time. Uh, and unfortunately she's no longer with us. Did you ever meet Donna Eaton? I think I did one once or twice Conrad, but it was kind of a, in passing, uh, cause I remember talking to her about, uh, the fun I had with her dad when he was booking for mid South. Right. Uh, I remember that conversation real well, but I didn't meet her often. It just wasn't at the right, same place, same time, all that, you know, that much, but, uh, yeah, in, in wrestling years. They were married like 450 years because they're like you said, wrestling relationships seemingly aren't built for the long haul. And when you hear of one that is, and there are some, yeah, uh, that, you know, you, you kind of admire that quite frankly. So we're building to, um, you know, the whole show here of great American bash 91, but I wanted to take just a minute and just. You know, send our thoughts and prayers and shout out to one of the great guys in wrestling. I mean, great guy. You never hear anybody say anything negative about Bobby Eaton. And that's for a reason. Bobby never has anything negative to say about anybody else either. So <laughs> that's good, right. good dude, hard worker, very talented performer who gave us a lot of entertainment over the years. Uh, but obviously he's going through a tough time right now. So let's send some positive powers his way. And, uh, he needs all that mojo he can get right now. I'm sure it's gotta be a. Terrible spot to be in. Yeah. Amen. Conrad. Well said. So let's talk about the, uh, the bash. And of course, originally this card and there's posters out there and I still have one somewhere. Cause I thought it was really cool because it didn't happen. It features Ric Flair and Lex Luger in a steel cage match for the WCW title. That's what's been promoted. That's what's been promised. And, um, behind the scenes, there's some contract discussions going on, but the poster folks. And the people making the, the pay-per-view promos and commercials and doing the hype there in Baltimore, they don't know that necessarily. They're thinking, Hey, we're going to get flair and Luger for the world title in a steel cage. We'll also promote sting and Nikita Koloff in a chain match. The Steiners are going to team up with Missy Hyatt to take on Paul Lee, Barry Windham, and Arn Anderson also in a cage match. And unbelievably there's a scaffold match scheduled and also a lumberjack match. Now this starts to feel a little Southern to me once upon a time when you were running the old Southern territories and you're entertaining essentially the same crowd every single week and asking them to come back and see largely the same roster. You've got to get creative, but now it may be, it feels like it's an overload chain match, cage match, cage match, scaffold match, lumberjack match, all on the same card. Who was such a strong proponent of the gimmick matches? I don't, I don't really know, but it was an epic fail. And if I had anything to do with it, and I could have, we got to add some sizzle to a card that's loaded with guys that aren't over. We got to add sizzle to a card for uh, the reason that there are no long-term programs being booked 
that are blowing off or debuting, uh, on this show, it needs help. I, I, and so it's like, and wrestlers do this all the time. That's in the wrestling business. If it's good enough, if a little barbecue sauce is good, yeah, let's just put a bottle of that shit in there. Right. And that's not how it works. So, uh, I don't know what one person, you know, heard may have had, a, he may have said he wanted a lot of gimmick matches and, and add more sizzle because we don't have the steak or whatever, whatever, but it was an epic fail too much, too much, too many gimmicks, too many gimmick finishes. And I think if you looked at the show as I have, and as I tried to call it, you, you see that the, for many of really good talents, by the way. That their heart wasn't in it. They knew they were working an epic fail show. Let's just don't get hurt. And that was kind of the, how I saw that thing. Maybe I'm wrong, but you guys watch it. You be your own judge. Let's talk about, uh, some other things that are sort of going wrong in WCW on the way here. Scott Steiner is going to tear his bicep Steiner uh, context is King was considered to be one of the next big breakout stars for WCW. A lot of folks even we're campaigning for Scott to have a singles run. I believe the rumor and innuendo is Scott didn't want to separate from his brother. They wanted to take care of each other, but Scott now has not only the cool look, but he's also got the hot move. The Frankensteiner is one of the more discussed and exciting moves anywhere in wrestling, not just here in America, but I mean, people are excited about what Scott's doing abroad as well. Anyway, I'm saying all that to say, just like we tried Rick and Bobby Eaton at a clash of the champions, we tried Rick and Scott Steiner in January that year to clash of the champions and Rick did not do himself any favors in the match. Uh, apparently Rick was still in these contract muck and unhappiness with herd and refused to let Scott have any of his offense that people were so excited to see. And even Arn Anderson felt like perhaps Rick wrestled a different style in that match. And for that reason, that singles match in January of 91, Scott carried animosity towards Rick, even to this day, but for years and years and years, do you remember there being some back and forth about Scott Steiner and Rick flair and just how they just were not getting along when you're talking to Jim Hurd? I'm not sure, uh, what the issue, uh, would be other than the title, right? There was, there was discussion, but there was ongoing discussion. When you have a, uh, a pro wrestling champion and, uh, the decisions are made within an office or a booker in his office or a committee, whatever it may be, you, uh, you, you see that, uh, you know, uh, there's always discussion. Who's next? Somebody gets hurt. You know, Watts taught me to manage with the worst case scenario in mind. Yes. So if I'm investing money today, these days, and I am going to, I am investing money in a new little business, uh, then I'm not going to, I know that the worst thing that can happen is I lose all my investment. That's where I go. Well, how much would that be? I don't, oh, I don't know. No, I know. I know exactly to the dollar, the penny what's going to be. So, uh, to, that's how I, you manage in wrestling the same way. So Rick never liked to hear who's next. He, he never, in his own mind, he never felt like it was time for him to, for them to change titles 
and him to be chasing the title or get involved in another program, uh, a personal issue. So I think there's something to be said about that particular aspect. He was very sensitive about the title. It, the title caused him a lot of grief and, and helped create a lot of fame. And it was the center of his life, probably, unfortunately, more than it should have been. You want to get down to brass tacks. So, uh, I, I think that, I think that Scotty's deal was, he was one of those young guys, not, not unlike Sting. you know, the one that we're most comfortable hearing are most often hearing about is Barry Wendell. Yeah. There's a handful of guys that are always talked about this, this guy could do it. Maybe Nikita, maybe this, whatever. So I think that's what that, that issue was. Cause I, and there may be more to it than that. Somebody that knows those details, I'm sure shaking her head right now. I didn't follow the gossip trail around and, uh, there was no Twitter that I can remember or any of that other shit. So nonetheless, uh, I think that's what that was because Scotty was, would have been a popular choice within the, uh, upper management squad there at WCW and, and Turner. He, he was, he, he's what they perceive the champion should be and look like. Heard love the Steiner brothers. He helped make the Steiners bigger stars than they ever were before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think of course they're awesome. I, I caught some, some of the Steiners midnight express stuff. You can look up Yep. Ph- phenomenal. And, uh, of course, one of my all time favorite matches and others have said the same thing. It was the Steiners and, uh, doc and Gordy. Oh yeah. God almighty. What a dream book. You ought to call that match for free. I didn't tell anybody that at the time, but I would have. <laughs> Well, let's talk about, uh, where we are with sort of the, the backstage discussion of Rick flair, you're a part of the booking committee and yeah. Rick had at, at some point been a part of that committee. And then he wrote a letter of resignation saying that he didn't think it was workable. A lot of other people who were there said, uh, flair wasn't interested in being a booker. He, his ears perked up about his own stuff, but the rest of the time he was on his cell phone or making calls or looking at his watch, counting the minutes till he could get out of there. Do you think Rick just wanted to have a hand in his creative or did he really enjoy the idea of being a part of a booking committee? It just became unworkable because I heard, Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life with paint your life. You get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mom, your dad, or both. You see, paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind beautiful hand-painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine, maybe in a special location or a favorite pet. There's lots of options. You pick the artist, the medium, and you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect. You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word ROSS to 87204. That's ROSS to 87204. Text ROSS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. I think he was primarily interested in, in the title picture. Yeah. And that occupied most of his uh, professional thoughts. Uh, I'm sure if he had wanted to and was motivated as such, he could have done uh, uh, fine as a booker. But uh, a lot of top guys, only in, they invest the most creatively into their own character. And that's because all those years and years where people were not under contract is regarding a, a, a uh, salary. So you're always on, on edge to draw, draw money. And that's why the top guys always had the one of the smart ones, even today, you know, Chris Jericho has a hand in everything he does. Right. And thank God for it. Uh, I'll tell you another guy we have Darby Allen has a great mind. And I said, well, in the coffin, don't, don't talk about, don't talk about the fucking spots. Everybody chill, just chill for a minute. I'm very privileged to have the opportunities to have private conversations with Darby and we have a very good relationship and he runs ideas about me all the time. Some of them I agree with and some of them I don't, but the good thing he knows he's going to get an honest opinion from me. That's right. But he's a good kid and he's learning early. The more you can have, the more input you can have in your creative. The, 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 you increase your odds for success. So therefore going back again, players is, uh, the champion. He may have, you know, we had those three matches in 89 with steamboat. Well, he liked working with Ricky and Ricky liked working with Nate and they were artisans. There, there were shakes. They were Rembrandt's on a different canvas and amazing. So if you're the, the head honcho, you said, well, we can get three out of this. We get two out of this. We could work, you know. We get six months or whatever the case may be. So that was, uh, those guys all had a hand in their creative and a lot of it was for self-survival. And you think that's where flair was flair was really just looking out for his creative and everything else was just sort of. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm, that's not no. a degradation in age. I agree. It's just a matter that he took heart in what he did for a living. Knowing that the more money, the more tickets he was sold, the more money was drawn at the gate, the more money he took home in his envelope. So if more guys had that attitude today, all the business in total, in total would be better off. You think sometimes getting salary heavy and, uh, and you're paying guys ridiculous salaries with very little incentives built in is not the way to run a wrestling company. There's got to be some motivators. There's got to be something that, where there's a, a goal there, Conrad, so like being a salesman. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know how to, I guarantee there's not too many people could probably multiply something times 15% or <laughs> 10% faster and better than you, but that's what makes you go around. That's what makes you Conrad. Right. And that's what made Rick, Rick. And, and so he was just, uh, cause I don't, all the guys in that committee were I'd like to thank are pretty good friends of his. Yeah. To some degree anyway. 
there, there was no strangers on it. That's for damn sure. So I, 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 uh, I think he had the right intentions, but all he should have been worrying about was a title. Did you ever that think was, it was going to get to a spot where he would quit? I no. mean, yeah, I'd heard it a million times for God's sakes. Yeah. He quit all the time, right? All the time. Yeah. And, and he was so beloved by the boys cause he was, a, he was a stud. He was the four year letterman. He's that he had the most patches on his letter jacket, man. He's the coolest guy in school. So, but I, and he talked like that all the time. Like you said he had quit theoretically. Yeah. I've heard other guys say he would tell us all the time. I quit. I'm out of here. I'm going to call Vince. You won't see me again. And then they would sort of play along, but in their head, they're thinking, all right. See you tomorrow in Richmond. Yeah. yeah. He'd, there he'd be. Yeah. You know, the, he, he might have a, a deal where he was going to set out for a couple of days or get the weekend off type deal. But he, he knew that he was coming back and I never, I'd heard it. It's the old crying wolf thing, man. Right. I heard it so many times. I just thought, well, I've heard this before and he's still here. So I didn't think he'd quit. And I, I didn't think they'd come to an impasse. Here's the, the big issue is really, really this to me. There's, it, there's no reason that Rick should have been on TV or on the road until his contractual issues had been solved and taken care of with some conclusion that both sides could at least say, okay, reluctantly, this is where we are. And if that reluctantly, this is where we are was we can't do business anymore. We're willing to release you and here's whatever <laughs> you don't let it linger. You don't let it in a creative business or a sales oriented business. You can't let problems linger Yeah, because that becomes a focal point. Just and it sure as hell did with this case and it ruined this pay-per-view. Uh, you know, he was that over, but because he was that over and every other booker I ever worked for would have, you know, fought tooth and nail to keep him. Um, that's why I, that's why I was shocked when he left. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on outside of the company. And then we'll circle back to WCW. It's totally off topic, but it does feature a friend of yours. The UWF is going to run beach brawl. And Herb Abrams is going to have the main event with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Obviously your, your pals with, uh, with Dr. Death and familiar with Bam Bam. what do you think of Herb Abrams and his attempt to, to do his own thing here? Do you watch this show? Do you remember? I remember I got more information watching, uh, dark side of the ring and their story of, of, uh, the cocaine and the Vaseline and all that stuff. Do you see it? Oh yeah. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, Conrad. Yes, there is. I just got to tell you right now. Uh, so I, I didn't think much of it. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, a big joke. Yeah. And, and the only good out of it, in my view, was the fact that a few guys, Bob Orton jr. And, and doc and Bigelow and others who didn't have work at that time, the state steady work. Got some paydays, but it, it had no future. It was going nowhere. Uh, based on what I saw of her Abrams on that show, you only had to meet if you're a TV executive or an advertising executive, it was seen to me. You don't have to meet with him once Yes. to determine I ain't doing business with this dude. Yeah. 
So I did, I wasn't a big fan of it and it had nothing to do with the him using the UWF name or, or all that stuff. It's irrelevant, but the boys got to make some paydays. And that's the only silver lining I can find that whole train wreck. Around the same time, the George Sahorian trial is going to begin. And we know it's going to play a major factor in all things, professional wrestling. Were you keeping a keen eye on this through the news, through the quote unquote dirt sheets, or is this just the talk of the business? What's going on with the WWF's steroid trial here? Well, there was a, it was a topic that a lot of guys, uh, enjoyed conversing about. It seemed like I got my information from the observer, uh, which was seemed to be very accurate. And I got it from, uh, New York post online because nobody really knew, you know, what's all going on and all that. And we had work to do. Somebody would say, well, do you pay that much attention to WCW during the Monday night wars? No, I didn't have time. Yeah. Where would I, how would I have done that? Yeah. Well, you know, a guy like me that has early onset dementia. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, seriously. Hey, look, Conrad, if you can't look. Laughing is better than crying, man. No, I'm for it. And we know what, if now that I know you like it, we'll just start making dementia jokes. We'll have dementia t-shirts <laughs> by God. Hey, let's talk about PN news and Dan Spivey here. This is a weird sentence here, but Dan Spivey is cut loose for refusing to put over Tom Zink in a tag match. And then he refused to put over PN news. So they refused to keep paying him. He's out. <laughs> uh, what do you remember about Spivey walking on the idea of losing the zinc and news? Who cares? Well, Danny cared and, uh, proud guy, old school. And he was like one, another guys, other guys that believed that losses on TV like that would, would damage his career, which I disagree with, but you know, it's his career. Yeah. Uh, I, we, we knew there was juice there because later on he became Waylon mercy. Yeah. And Waylon mercy was powerful character, powerful character. And in today's world. Uh, television primarily, uh, vignettes and things like that would have been custom made for Wayland mercy. it had been great right now in my view, cause he's huge. He's big, big heel, the monster heel, which there's a shortage of in this business seems like anyway. So, uh, I would, I, if, if I had my brothers on you know what that means? Yes. I would have, uh, rather kept, uh, Danny and Zinc or P and news, either one of them. Yeah. Or both of them. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tried to get P and news or is a, you know, hip deal and the hip hop stuff. We try, there's a bunch of white guys trying to figure that shit out. Seriously. If the booking committee had been more diverse. Well, well, really? No, I'm just saying, no, you're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's Kevin Sullivan. Uh, he's not here now, but Jim Cornette, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, you, you, yourself, Ric Flair, occasionally Tony Schiavone. Yeah. They're we're missing some, well, <laughs> anything besides old white dudes. That's right. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. And I would have been very happy to step away and have a person of color take my place, but that was, you know, you had a very unique group of, uh, very white people and uh, it was not good for the long haul, but. In any event, on the Spivey thing, keep Danny big, 
season leading, uh, that can lead a match monster heels don't grow on trees. And, uh, big Dan, the left-hand man was one of my favorites still is. I saw him this the other day, I saw a picture of him on Facebook. Yes. JR's on Facebook. That's another sign I'm aging. Yep. If you're <laughs> on Facebook, you're definitely old. Oh God. Hey, I got, I got a lot of AARP merchandise somewhere around the house now. Kind of cool. Uh, but Danny had, had legs. The, the idea was real simple. The P and news character was for the quote unquote ethnic audience. Oh, and, uh, Tom Zink was the prototypical handsome, uh, good physique, baby face. And that's what was thought, of within like Turner home entertainment and all those internal feeder groups to WCW. So, uh, Dan was just out in that regard. And you know, sometimes you gotta know what he ought to die on, what he ought not to die on. I, I would have kept him and I said goodbye to the other two. Well, somebody else who's going to be saying goodbye is the nature boy, uh, from the observer that was dated July 1st. Now remember he's going to date these episodes or these issues about five days before he publishes them. So the very day this is supposed to be in everyone's mailbox, July 1st Flair's already gone, but here's the story that Dave wrote in a story that was still up in the air as We're going to press the future of Ric Flair and WCW is very much in doubt. According to four different sources on Monday during contract negotiations between Heard and Flair's attorney, Dennis Guthrie Heard told Guthrie, the company was giving Flair 30 days notice and rumors began that Flair's final day with the company would either be July 14th in Baltimore or July 22nd in Los Angeles. As of Tuesday, Flair hadn't yet gotten notified by the office of his notice heard denied the story and explained that two sides are simply trying to negotiate a contract extension from which all accounts would require Flair to take a huge pay cut from his one-year contract estimated at guaranteeing him between 700 and 750,000 per year, which wouldn't include additional income from his merchandising revenue. Flair is actually still under contract to WCW through June 1st, 1992. And according to Heard, Flair has an escape clause in his contract that would allow him to quit, provided he gave 30 days written notice. Heard said that WCW doesn't have a similar escape clause in the contract, which seems to mean the company can't legally give Flair notice without having to pay off the duration of the contract. Although other sources say there are loopholes to the company's benefit. And you wrote in your book, Slobberknocker, My Life in Wrestling, that Heard wanted changes and wanted younger and new stars and was developing it for the sake of change itself. And, uh, of course, everyone knows heard wanted to change Rick's persona. He's talked a lot about, he made me cut my hair. He wanted to put my, put me in an earring. And there is the famous talk of, he wanted to make me Spartacus. When we talked to Jim heard about that, he denied it and said that was silly bullshit around a booking table. What if ha 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 cutting up with the, with the guys. And I kind of believe that. I don't think there's a scenario where. Jim heard ever actually wanted, and I guess we should add context. Cause this is the era where Ted Turner is investing in movies. And a lot of people thought, well, that's fucking stupid. Who would pay all this money for these rights to these movies. But then like the wizard of Oz, when that played on TV in full color for the first time, people thought, oh, he's a genius, but he yeah. was doing other movies like gone with the wind and a lot of others. Anyway, I'm saying all that to say, if he's d- investing in some of these classic movies, it's understandable that WCW 
who also has programming on Turner stations would be expected to cross promote. I went around the block twice there to explain we created Oz dusty roads, push Oz out there. Of course, that was Kevin Nash under a goofy gimmick, but still why would we have the rights to the movie? So we get that, but even still that seems like a gimmick or something you do for someone sort of coming up the ranks, not necessarily we're going to change Ric Flair and now call him Spartacus. That's not real. That's just funny. Ha ha. Well, you're not, you're being realistic and you're being, uh, using common sense, which is the wrong elements to use when talking about WCW booking and creative Okay. in 1991 or virtually any year, uh, before Bischoff got the reins, uh, they, the, uh, I remember a series of meetings where Turner home entertainment and maybe another division wanted us to help, uh, increase the monetization of the Turner library. Look, you gotta remember they started a whole network of Turner classic movies. Yes, it did. Uh, it was no, it wasn't a throwaway. It's a big deal. And they thought that one way to help that would be to create some wrestling characters that identified with some of the movies in that, in their big library. And they had the best movies ever made till that point. So, uh, I think that's what that was and heard, of course, going overboard, wanting to make, make the sure this thing was, you know, hitting on all cylinders was willing to, you know, create one character and see if it gets over. We don't need this, 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 and this, you know, and, and all, some of our themes of our pay-per-views were, were kind of fantasy Island type bullshit, not the show fantasy, but this crazy stuff. So I think that was a, a, an edict. See if you can figure out a way to, of course, he's not going to fall on his source. Oh, we don't have any ideas. Can't say that. Right. So, uh, I think that's what that was is just to, to try to integrate all the Turner properties. And you think about it like that, it's not a bad concept, but you still got to have the right character. Or like you said, it becomes funny. Ha ha. And nobody gives two shits. I don't listen. I'm going to stir up a hornet's nest here, but I do feel like we should just call spade a spade. When Bret Hart refused to drop the title to Shawn Michaels at survivor series, a lot of people took issue with what Brett was doing and saying, oh, he's not doing business. And Brett was the baby face in that scenario, but a lot of people villainized him, but people said the same thing of Shawn Michaels and Meltzer for years would say, you know, Sean never drops a belt. He'll lose his smile. He'll have to forfeit. He might never be able to wrestle again, whatever it takes to not drop a belt in the ring. That was sort of the gist of a lot of the tone of the observer at the time. And then of course, there's the whole Jeff Jarrett situation where he's got the intercontinental title and he's still got one date left on his contract. And Jeff Jarrett was the heel in that circumstance, but it feels like with this whole Ric Flair, Jim Hurd thing, Flair is unanimously viewed as the baby face and Hurd is the heel. And I think a lot of it comes down to, as you like to say here on the show, the cash and creative in hindsight, did we get it wrong? Were we too hard on Hurd? was flair doing what was best for business was flair being selfish with the benefit of hindsight. Do you view this any differently? Not much. I, I think that both parties, uh, dropped the ball and not getting it solved. Yeah. Getting it solved before it, it, uh, festered as they say in Oklahoma and Alabama, 
Roll Tide. Uh, you know, I, I it, it, it was like an open wound and it kept getting more infected. It never was going to heal at the rate and the route that this thing was taking. So, uh, I, I, they both got some, some explaining to do, so to speak, but, uh, herds problem was he was spouting off things in wrestling vernacular that if you knew anything about the business, you'd been around longer than a week or two. You knew what that he didn't know what he's talking about. Give me an example. Uh, not, not a specific one. Just make one up in the same. Well, I'll give you the, the, uh, hutchbacks for a great example. Okay. They can never lose. Well, first of all, any gimmick that you have on somebody that makes them unbeatable is not a good gimmick. It's just not ask Goldberg. It's just not. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, I think, uh, I just think it, this, these two cats just, they're both so hard headed. They both believed in what they said and, and heard, heard himself by saying things like I was going to say that were, that a veteran would talk about instead of coming up with ideas that were laughable. And you got to admit two wrestlers with hunchbacks, like they're in that, in the young Frankenstein movie. Uh, Igor, I've spent a lot of, I got a lot of free time. Uh, so, you know, they, uh, but, but now at the same time though, I mean, let's add context here. We've also got one of the greatest characters in the history of wrestling is an undead guy who can summon lightning and throw fire. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, he's got, he's going to tag along with a trio of vampires who drink blood. And we've also got a pimp character and a porn star character. There's some. I get hunchbacks are silly and they're stupid, but I'm just saying there's been a lot of successful, stupid shit in wrestling. Yeah. But when you get to the degree that you can't beat, be beat. Yeah. Because your shoulders can never be pinned because of your deformity. It, that to me takes you right off the edge into shit land. And that might be a t-shirt someday. I fell in shit land. Uh, and it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's a uh, distressing to think about, but but you're right. There's been a lot of lousy characters. I, it seems to me like uh, maybe I'm wrong here, Conrad, but it seems to me like in today's world of pro wrestling, the reality based stuff is hitting a, hitting a chord more than the, uh, fantasy stuff, hypnotizing people, zombies. Oh, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. it well, oh, I see JR you old. It's past you by. Yeah, that's it. I've lost all reasoning. I don't know what entertains me anymore. Cause I got to go by what you say and what you say is the shits. Look at the ratings. So bottom line is, is that everything for the name for the sake or the name of entertainment is a weak ass excuse. We're just trying to entertain the audience. That's such, that's such a pussy way of getting out of it. Oh, we're just trying to entertain the audience. Sure. Keep saying, keep, keep drinking that Kool-Aid buddy, save your money because it's just not the way to, to, to engulf an audience. The audience has got to be able to relate to something and every character that you put on television. Let's mention, uh, 
flair in his departure is not without controversy in the locker room either. I'm sure, but nobody really talks about that. Let's do, but before we do, let's give some context. This is from the observer. It's the end of an era and the dawning of a new error. Rick flair was fired by WCW Monday effective immediately after both sides failed to reach an agreement on a contract extension, which would be from June 1st, 92 through May 31st, 94. The official word was faxed Monday afternoon by Jim Hurd to Flair's attorney, Dennis Guthrie in Charlotte, that Flair's contract is being terminated effective August 1st, 1991. Flair was scheduled to drop the belt to Barry Windham on July 1st in Macon and a revised plan decided upon within the last week that had been the subject of many behind the scenes problems. WCW officials weren't expecting Flair to show up on Macon. He was originally scheduled to be in on vacation until Wednesday. The revised plan was for Wyndham to defend the title against Lex Luger in Baltimore with Barry's title victory airing on TBS, either this coming Sunday night or the day before the Baltimore show. It was announced in Macon that Flair had been stripped of the title due to contractual problems and that the two top contenders, Wyndham and Luger would wrestle for the held up title on July 14th at the pay-per-view show. This marks the first time in the 43 year history of the NWA slash WCW that the world title didn't change hands in the ring. This has got to be, uh, it's the biggest story in wrestling. What's it like inside the office when you're hearing, wait a minute, we're stripping him. Are you thinking that you can have a conversation or did you know, Rick had his heels dug in in a big way? I always believe until somebody throws their hands up, walks away from me, that there's a way to solve an issue. Yeah. It's called communication, being reasonable, being fair on both sides. Here's the deal in a real simple, here's how I would have looked at it as a head of talent. I got to know how much of my budget I have to cut total dollar number. You didn't say you got to cut blank out of Ric Flair's contract, right? You're looking to save bottom line costs and the number of the magic number from the bean counters there in uh, Turner is, uh, blank. Well, I can figure out a way to get you your number and never touch Flair's money. Yeah. It's called management, uh, strategy. So I'm going to, I'm going to forsake. This veteran, that's the basically the face of our brand, and has got more name identity than anybody else on our roster. Over mathematics, now it became more than mathematics, Conrad. It became personal with those guys. Yeah, I did. Heard dug his heels in, and he was making a statement. I'll show these some bitches who's in charge. And then there was Flair, who said. I'm Ric Flair. I got to put up this shit. Yeah. So I just, uh, I'm just disappointed that the communication didn't happen and it could have been done very easy. We had nobody in that role we had nobody. Uh, we had nobody in the quote unquote talent relations world at that time in Turner other than Mr. Hurt. He hired and fired. He negotiated. Uh, so I, I just, it was not a good scenario whatsoever. It's just, it's, you know, we talked about this before. I said this about the committee and I believe it to be true. It's a, it's a 
system built for failure because active performers having the influence over the entire roster and over the entire show is unhealthy. A top guy having influence on his match or being willing to sit down with the younger guy and help him along is a different ball game, totally different ball game, but having, having a committee of, of talents who are still actively involved in the game, affecting every match on the card, I find not to be healthy. That's just my opinion. So there's lots of debate in the, at the time about what exactly is being asked of Rick. I think the original idea was we're going to have you drop the belt to Luger in Baltimore. And, uh, we've talked about Luger a lot recently here on the show. We're probably three years too late on that. Maybe that should have happened in, in in 88, but either way, he didn't want to do that. And he doesn't want to do that because he wants to be taken care of. Uh, meaning WCW, depending on who you believe had asked to come, had asked him to take a pay cut to 350 grand a year, meaning cancel your contract and, and do it now. And, and some folks within WCW at the time were saying, no, we were trying to get ready for the next one. He wanted to extend his current deal at the same rate. And we couldn't do that. So we were asking to extend it at half the rate, which obviously flair doesn't have any interest in either way. The gist is Jim Ross was right. It's always about cash and creative, right? I think so. Pretty much, uh, straightforward, simple thinking, but it was just, if you try to get in and, 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 uh, you know, people are very protective like they are now in the wrestling business. I know there's a lot of guys from various companies that listen to the show and we appreciate all you guys, all you ladies, and I wish you only nothing but the best, but every, every company has got to have somebody that is the talent liaison guy. Yeah. And you know, uh, Tony Khan does it. Christopher Daniels does a lot of talent relations work in that regard and does a very nice job. He's a veteran. He's been around the boys know who he is, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, Tony's, uh, waist deep involved in, in almost everything, but that's, he loves that. And, uh, and we're lucky we have him to do that because he's got those young thir- mid 30 year old ideas. So, uh, and the talents can, uh, the talents identify with them. They listen to the same music. They do the same. They have the same interests by and large because of their age, the demographics, they both rely, they both reside in, but, uh, and WCW, we have Mr. Hurt and the guy that needed to have the most product knowledge of anybody on the roster, I believe has got to be one, the booker and two, who's taking care of the talent. Who's the talent relations person. Because you get faced with a zillion issues and questions right. and concerns and talent can tell if you're bullshitting them from the, from the first, you open your mouth, you got those two roles have got to be solid as a rock. And, uh, we didn't have that solid as a rock feel in WCW as we've gone over ad nauseum. How much of this was just the locker room? Meaning I believe at the time. Luger's on a $600,000 a year deal. I think Sting's somewhere in that same neighborhood. And now we're going to who most people regarded as being the real franchise for the NWA and WCW for a long time, Ric Flair and saying, Hey, we need you to take a pay cut by half 
And oh, by the way, that means you'll be making roughly half of what sting and Lex Luger, two guys that you think you made, well, they're going to be making more than you now. I mean, that's probably the gist of Flair's frustration more than anything else. It's one thing to go to him and say, Hey, business is down. We need a pay cut. It's another to say, well, you're going to be the third highest paid guy on the roster. And these two guys who are above you, 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 you probably made them, but whatever we, we got what we needed out of you. So here's, here's less. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's just bad management. Somebody listening will say, you know, I love old JR Conrad. They're straight up, but I think they're really wrong on this one because nobody could be that fucking stupid. Yeah. Oh, yes, they could. Again, go to the bottom of your card and find people that aren't in a position right now to contribute to even earn that salary. Those are the ones that you, in a, in a, as professionally as you can say goodbye to, and they start doing your math. I want to take it from those guys before I'm going to take it from my main event guys. Yes. And anybody else that would just anybody disagreeing with that, you've never managed people. You want to take care of your producers, your producers, right? Your stars, whoever it may be. So, uh, I, it was just, it was the wrong logic, quite frankly. And you start out with a scenario and a philosophy that if it happens, is it's going to spread shit all over the company. And that's what we did. It was embarrassing. You wrote in your book, uh, there was a very distinct stark difference in philosophy and opinion between the two men, their lack of communication with each other allowed the problem to manifest itself into an unsolvable issue where eventually there was no solution left on the table. Did you know right away? I mean, obviously he has other opportunities based on his celebrity, but realistically you had to know. Well, if he's leaving here, he's going to work for Vince. It ain't like he's calling up Herb Abrams or going to Japan. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it was obvious where he'd head and he knew that Vince would, would use him well. And that's all Vince got to say to you. I'll use you good. And guys that understand the business know that that means you're going to be working in a main events or somewhere in the top third of the card where you get a chance to make more money. Yeah. Your income's going to be there. Because then they were still getting paid by, uh, uh, the houses and they weren't like these huge guaranteed contracts where guys got their salary and lost their incentives. So that's, they had to still draw money. And if he says he's going to fetch his position, he did Vince put Rick in a, in a top position from day one. Let's go back to, um, called first quarter in 90 when sting gets hurt before he has a chance to dethrone Ric Flair and become world champion at great American bash in 90, it was supposed to happen ahead of time. Sting gets hurt the patella injury. Uh, and, and Lex Luger is supposed to be the next guy and Flair flat refuses to drop the belt to Lex saying we promised it to sting. Now here it is again. We're asking Rick to drop the belt to Luger and he's saying, Nope, don't think I can. And this has got to be something that not only bothers Lex, but I imagine Barry Windham because Barry Windham, a lot of people thought going back at this point, five years was one of the best wrestlers in the entire industry and a former stable mate of Rick's and a running mate and a drinking buddy and a friend. And obviously he used to run the roads with his dad and thought a lot of him, yep. but now both of these guys are in sort of a lame duck spot because Rick's gone. 
I'm curious, do you remember there being any frustrations that were voiced that you heard from either Wyndham or Luger about, damn it. We appreciate all that he did for us, but what the fuck he left. He took the belt. Uh, nothing specific because everybody was looked at Rick as a, uh, on a different level than everybody else. Yeah. He was just, people didn't openly, uh, some would when he was gone. Uh, but respect out of respect, he didn't get a lot of shit in that regard. There are people, I mean, I've talked to people and, and, and I'll tell you here on this show that that's not the way you do business. Right. And, uh, and Nate knows that, uh, but again, it, it got so personal and it, it lingered so long that we, the, we we're losing options. We're, we're losing the desire to negotiate and solve this issue. I don't know at that point in time, there are a certain point around this time. I think Rick had given up. I'm leaving. I'm tired of this shit. I'm going to go to WWE and WWF, whatever. And, uh, and, 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 and work for Vince. But a lot of people didn't understand. Just, just drop the belt. What's it going to hurt? It's not going to hurt your shot. Your next job. It's not going to hurt your next booking. It's personal now. It's not about business. It wasn't the right thing to do for business, Conrad. It wasn't. We we just it just raped and pillaged the damn title, in my view. That and and here's what's frustrating. And I'm not blaming Rick because Rick could have done it or not have done it. I'm I'm just saying that this whole scenario or this title became every day when I went to the office something different. You know, Kurt, I I well I had an hour conversation with Flair's lawyer today. That Dennis Guthrie guy, you know him? Oh, I don't know. I knew who he was. Knowing, knowing, no. And it got to be like this one-upsmanship. Yeah. Uh, he hit me with this zinger and I hit him this mine back. You know, we're going to get this done. And we'll get it done our way. So because of the ego shit. Everybody's focused on winning. They're fine. Yeah, no, no matter the price. Yes. No matter the price, buddy. So let's talk about, uh, just take a time out very briefly and take a sidebar before we jump into the show. How much of this is on dusty roads? I'm not pointing the finger. I'm just saying dusty comes back. He finishes up with Vince in January, 91 immediately comes back. And for lack of a better phrase at times, he and Rick had a love hate relationship back in the Crockett era. Uh, we read about it in both of their books and we've heard the Crockett's talk about it, that you know, dusty had, uh, Jimmy's ear and then Rick would go have dinner with the family and Jim would try to placate everybody, but it was a process. And now that dusty's back and he feels like he's in the office and he already doesn't feel like hurt as an ally. How much of that do you think plays on him? That man, uh, some, I don't no have doubt. an advocate there. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Some Conrad, but. It's not the excuse. It's not the reason that, well, Dusty's lingering, you know, mind games adversely affected Rick and blah, blah, blah. You know, people can have their opinion on that. They want my opinion is it's a cop out. It's an excuse when you're down to where it's your lawyer and the head of the company, uh, that's where you are. That's it. 
So what happened before don't mean shit. Doesn't mean anything. We want to fix this problem. And here's how I propose that we do it. And my solution would have been, I want to leave your contract alone. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to upset. I don't want to affect anything. So as far as I, you can leave this meeting with me today with no loss of income. Yep. And you know, no change in the basic structure of your deal. So, uh, but that's not, it never came close to that. I don't, I don't think again, got too personal and you can't let the personal side completely overtake the emotional side of any negotiation, including pro wrestling. There's a, uh, a show at the Meadowlands not long after the news gets out and it's a pretty good house for WCW at the time. 5,800 fans. Uh, the gate is just over $87,000 and the fans here start chanting. We want flair in our years in the wrestling business. Is this your biggest like PR nightmare you've had to deal with your world champion leaving? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There's probably other things we could mention. If we go back and look hard enough, but yeah, pretty much. Cause it was uh, thunderous. It wasn't a faint, you know, Great school kids, their high pitched voices. This was full throated adults, and they were wanting everybody to hear what they had to say. And it, it would have been impossible not to hear it. Eventually, before we get to the pay per view, we should mention, and we talked about this with Mr. Hurd, there's a latch effort to sort of get the match in the ring. I believe the, um, the Turner legal department told Mr. Hurd, hey, you know, you can't legally fire him. You can't legally do that. So he comes back, tries to schedule a private meeting, offer him three quarters of a million dollars for a one-year deal. Flair turns it down. He's made his decision. He's taking his talents to New York city. So we're here. It's the, we want flair, great American bash. It's poorly received by the readers of the wrestling observer. It got two thumbs in the middle, zero thumbs up, 239 thumbs down. One of the worst reviewed shows in pay-per-view history. 7,000 fans are here to see it. 5,500 of which paid a $99,000 gate. Uh, there's 145,000 homes that purchased the pay-per-view. By the way, as a comparison year over year, the bash the prior year where Sting won the world title drew 9,000 fans and $150,000 gate. And it had 200,000 buys. So business is down quite a bit. But that a lot of that has to do with Ric Flair, no doubt. No doubt. Well, he was the star of the show. Everything was built around him. Everything big that happened in the NWA or WCW for the last several years involved Nate. I want to mention too, that this has arguably one of the worst matches ever to kick off a pay-per-view. It's Bobby Eaton, who we all know and have well-established here. One of the best in-ring performers of all time, Terry Taylor, criminally underrated in the ring. Maybe you didn't love his character or the stuff you read in the newsletter, but when the bell rang, the guy knew how to perform. And of course, one of the biggest wrestlers of all time, arguably the biggest star ever, Steve Austin are all in a match and you think, well, how in the world is that bad? Well, for starters, we add P and news to it. And then we say, Hey, all these guys who can fly around the ring and do all these great things. Let's not let them do that at all. Let's put them in a goddamn scaffold match. Yeah. Insanity. 
if I was booking that card, the first thing I would omit is a scaffold. Oh, just get rid of the scaffold. And it might actually be decent. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you're in a no, you, you booked a no win match. Yeah. I mean, you can't just, let's just live off the midnight express and Cornette falling from the, the scaffold and blowing his knees out and things like that. That let's just let it go. That's what you get out of it. You can't have a match. Yeah. And I can't remember how many, at one time I knew this, but I think three of the four were afraid of heights, but nobody asked. Yeah. It is hysterical to go watch. Here's the write-up unannounced in pre-match hype. They had changed the scaffold match rules to allow winning by knocking the foe off the scaffold or by capturing the opponent's flag that was on either side of the scaffold. This was among the worst of the among the worst matches in the history of pay-per-view television. The highlight of the match was Austin and lady blossom walking to the ring with a decked out Taylor without Mrs. York behind him. Nothing like he all dressed up for his prom and his date stood him up. Nothing happened at all. You have to give the guys guts for going up there, but what does it say for the booker when he takes two of the four best workers in the company? It puts them in a match that guarantees not to make use of their talent and make no sense to boot desperation booking and and not booking with your instincts, but booking on what you're told to do by the, the the front office, we've got to have gimmick matches. So you go down the list of all the different gimmick matches. Hmm. They had the scaffold match on first. They could tear, tear down the goddamn stupid looking, uh, uh, staging. Yeah. So just had no reason. There's no good reason that that match has even existed or was on the show period. No, no debate. Negative three and a half stars. Bobby captured the flag to win. The announcers didn't even know it was the fit snorted any of the fans. Lady blossom handed Austin a hairspray container and he sprayed both faces. Then they all climbed down and had a short brawl in the ring. Yeah, man, Bobby Eaton, and he's so great in the ring. Let's just, let's put him where he can't do anything. Yeah. Uh, Meltzer would say while they're taking down the scaffold, Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone opened the show during the week to flare, uh, which was also announced to the live crowd before the show went on the air in order to quell the co- what the company knew going in was going to be a ton of, we want flare chance, but the announcement actually brought the loudest chant of the night. But as the company hoped it was off television, man, this has got to be weird where the fans they're mad at the company. They're not fan. They're not mad at Rick. They're not, they're not pissy with him, but yet they're still here paying their money showing up. It's a tough spot for everybody. Yeah. Uncomfortable as hell. I'm sure Tony's got his thoughts on it too. It wasn't a fun show to do. Not because of him and me. I didn't think, I mean, we always seen it. always had pretty good chemistry. I think. Yeah. I still do. Uh, and Tony has to endure my bizarreness at times. Uh, my sense of humor sometimes isn't for everybody. I get that. I'll watch that going forward. I'm not going to start having to stop having a good time and trying to entertain the audience. Don't you watch shit? We want to hear your sense of humor. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it wasn't fun to do, man. We look, you can see, we knew, I knew we both knew Tony, Tony both knew at least talents very well. We work them almost every day. And you can tell when your team is ready to play and when they're not, this team was not ready to play and they were all caught up in the same, uh, cluster that, uh, 
that we were, except, you know, at least they didn't experience it as badly as like Tony and I, cause we worked in the office. We were there every day and they could go home, see a TV type deal. So it was, uh, it wasn't a fun night, Conrad, hard to prepare for what you really know is going to be shit. And that's what we were. We didn't have a good, this, uh, I can't find things, good things to talk about on this damn thing. Maybe that's, I'll figure out something between now and the end of the show. Probably not. <laughs> diamond, probably. the diamond stud is going to pin Z man in six minutes and 59 seconds. Uh, DDP is here with his, uh, usual routine, but no diamond dolls this time. Uh, it gets a star in three quarters. Of course, we know diamond stud is actually Scott Hall is going to go on to be razor Ramon and then come back with the NWO and we're off to the races, but. Not so much here, but we do have two hall of famers involved, Scott Hall and DDP. Uh, what do you think watching this one back for the first time in 30 years? Just a match. Uh, you know, it, again, when you have no agenda, when you have no rivalry, when you have no story behind it, when you have no momentum, you could get two good workers. And Scott Hall's case, a great worker, uh, beating, uh, Tom Zink, who was a solid worker and the match can't be good. Can't be great. Like they want it to be cause they're, they're playing with a very much. They don't have the 52 cards in that deck. They're missing some things. And that causes the match to be looked at as time filler or, well, this is how we're going to start this thing. You know, I'm a big believer. The one thing I'll say about. What we do in AEW is that we, on our TV shows, we start out hot. We, we try to start out with a real good match. And I think if people can think back of some of our shows, you could agree with that. Uh, you start hot and you end hot like bookends. And so we didn't start off hot. Next up, we got Ron Simmons and Oz. Ron gets the win in just under eight minutes. And, uh, Meltzer would say Jim Ross said both men could bench press 500 pounds, but in this match, neither could get one ounce worth of heat. Really bad match. Simmons won with a flying shoulder block. That's the end of Oz. Although now there is word that Kevin Nash will be kept around and giving a new role gets a dud rating here. So Oz is dead. Thankfully. Uh, we know that they've tried him as a master blaster. Now they've tried him as eyes. He's coming back as Vinny Vegas. And then eventually he's going to hit pay dirt with Vince McMahon and become diesel. And he's off to the races, but let's just take a minute here. Look at the talent so far, Ron Simmons, hall of famer, Kevin Nash, hall of famer, diamond Dallas page, hall of famer, Scott hall, hall of famer, Z man, not too bad. Bobby Eaton, hall of famer, Terry Taylor, going to be a hall of famer, Steve Austin, biggest star in the business and P and news. I know we're not off to a great start on matches, match quality, but it ain't for a fucking loaded roster, dude. My goodness. No, we weren't, uh, we weren't selling goods out of an empty wagon, Conrad. It's no. just, it comes back to the storytelling and give me something. Don't just take everything. Everything was cold. Yes. Nothing had a, a buzz about it coming into it. Nobody cared. So the, the buzz was supposedly going to come from the gimmicks the scaffolds, the, this, the, that's and all those things. But, uh, it, it didn't save save it at all. I mean, it just, it wasn't the talent. It was how the talent had been presented leading into that show. And there was so much start and stop booking, change the philosophy, push this guy 
we're not going to push him now, blah, blah, blah. So it was just, uh, so much uncertainty that nobody had confidence in what we were doing. And I think it showed in their work. A forgotten match here that if you're an old time fan, you would have really probably enjoyed this, but maybe it was a little too late. Richard Morton is going to pin Robert Gibson in 17 minutes and one second. They start brawling on the ramp before the match starts and Morton installs for several minutes at the four minute mark. Morton went after Gibson's bad knee and basically worked on it the rest of the way. Robert sold the knee. Great. They did two minute, uh, figure four spots. And technically Meltzer would say this wasn't a bad match, but there was no heat. And because of it, it seemed to drag on. They're both brawling on the ramp again and each miss a drop kick. Alexander York then distracts the referee as they both got in the ring and Morton took the opportunity to, uh, take the computer and come off the top rope with it for the pin star and a half. So the rock and roll express after being one of the hottest tag teams ever in this territory, if you will, just a handful of years prior are now going to break up and Ricky Morton, one of the ultimate baby faces is now a slick back heel with, uh, this computerized woman, Alexandra York. I mean, I guess in hindsight, there's always a curiosity when you see longtime partners tag up like this, but, or team uh, take on each other like this, but this to me felt like it was a little late or a little, I don't know. I didn't buy Ricky as a bad guy in this. I don't know. I thought it was rushed. Yeah. Uh, both guys, uh, should have had the opportunity to develop as singles. Ricky as a heel with Alexander York. And look, she was a, a pleasant addition to what we were doing as well. I thought different face, very sexy woman, you know, uh, it was a good gimmick it, for the time too. Yeah. And, and you know, it was a little, it was ahead of his time actually. Yeah. In some respects, uh, but we rushed it. So Ricky and Robert, uh, had a, to work uphill, even though they're arguably one of the top three or four greatest tag teams I ever saw. So, uh, it needed more time to develop their individual stories of which of course they didn't get. Yeah. It's weird because I really enjoy the Alexandria York presentation. I just don't think I wanted the rock and roll express to back up, break up like this. And I just assumed Ricky would have been the baby face, but that's not the way it crumbled. And it just was like, that's sort of the story of WCW 91. Let's keep going. Dustin Rhodes is going to team up with the young pistols who you and I have both admitted. We love Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. Yep. And they're going to take on the Freebirds and Brad street, which is of course, Brad Armstrong. So we got Armstrong's. We got Freebirds, We got Rhodes, We got Tracy. This is going to be a good match, but even that disappoints a little bit. It's an elimination tag match. And Meltzer says these guys should have had a great match, but it just didn't work. It was really bad early. And it's hard to understand why, given the talent involved, uh, he ultimately gave it a star and a quarter, uh, but Dustin and the young pistols are going to get the win. What'd you think here? Uh, it was unspectacular. I was, uh, thought it'd be better because the talents working in this match are all uh, are all guys that you, if you had a wrestling territory, you'd embrace having in your territory, but it was just cold and disjointed and there was no emotional attachment to it. Uh, you can't tell me that Dustin and the young, uh, young pistols couldn't have a great match with anybody. Yeah. They could. And then the, anybody 
was Hayes and, and, uh, uh, Brad, who else is on it? Uh, Jimmy Garvin. Yeah. You kidding me? That's why I say earlier, Conrad, some, sometimes it's not a, it's not a matter of effort or JR goes on the, uh, his podcast of Conrad, and he's just going to, he's just knocking all the boys. I'm not knocking any of the boys. I'm knocking the fact that the, the office, the creative branch of this, uh, runaway train booked him into a corner where how would they have a great match with no story leading into it? No story behind it. Right. It's impossible. Well, it's, uh, it's weird because I think sometimes here in the South, the phrase I, I've heard, or we use is man, that's snake bit. This show feels snake bit when even very talented performers who we all know can go for whatever reason. Yeah. It's like when they get in the ring, it just doesn't click and nobody really knows why. One of those nights, buddy, it's one of those nights. Uh, I was having a bad night then I was sick. Uh, and went straight to the hospital when the show was over. What was wrong? I had a, uh, I passed a fragmented kidney stone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's quite frankly, I think that's kind of what has, uh, led to my misspeaking of time every now and then, cause I gotta have some excuse. I can't just say I've made a human error. So I think that passing that kidney stone on the air, uh, was, uh, led to my early onset dementia. I got an idea. Next time you're worried <laughs> that you're going to say the wrong company or say the wrong thing, make sure you don't buy slapping your leg. Yeah, baby. That's what I'll do. Just remind yourself. I'll work up. If it don't work, I'll just slap my face. Oh gosh. Can you imagine you on TV? Just next week on WB dynamite. And then just immediately open. Come on. That'd be hilarious. Uh, all right. Next up yellow dog. Yes. Yellow dog. Brian Pillman under hood is going to beat Johnny B bad by DQ in six minutes. And Meltzer would say it was a very long six minutes too. bad does a great ring entrance, but he's nowhere ready in the ring for what they're pushing him for. He did a great sunset flip off the top rope and clearly has potential, but he's years from being ready in the ring dog hit a flying body press and had bad pinned when Teddy long interfered for the DQ. And after the match, bad sucker punch dog to the floor, three quarters of a star. Help me understand what's the thinking. And let's put Brian Pillman under a hood with the yellow dog. I mean, flying Brian with the Bengal shit and all he's over, or it was to me as a kid. Why did we deviate and try the yellow dog? I don't remember what the story was going into that deal. Um, he was on suspension or some, something storyline oriented. I know the yellow dog was, uh, a West Texas thing. So I think that was Dusty's deal. Um, and I think it, I think somewhere along the way, either him doing it or in a match with somebody doing it, Terry Funk had a run in with the yellow dog. So, uh, sorry, did did we, did we wish Terry Funk happy birthday last week? We did. We did a whole show on him. It was tremendous. Oh, okay. That's last week. (laughs) Really? I'm serious, man. (laughs) Boom. Another week goes by time flies. Uh, Having fun. He was 77 or he is 77. That's right. And, uh, I, the guy emailed my, uh, JR's BBQ.com website and, uh, and my partner who operations guy, Stephen link 
sent me an email. This guy wanted, he said, I'm a good friend of Terry Funks. He wants to, uh, connect with you and he, but he needs your phone number. No, pal, here's the deal. You need my phone number. Yeah. And, uh, I said, Terry Funks have my phone number, uh, since the friggin' 19, I don't know, 80 something, if he had 90 something, if he has my number, he has yours. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's funny how that shit happens. People are trying to weasel in, you know, and misrepresent, but I think the yellow dog was a dusty idea. Yeah. I just don't remember the exact storyline behind it, but there was a reason that he became the, tried to mask his identity as the yellow dog. Uh, and here you are with, you got a guy in a gimmick and there's a million ways to work the finish and they can't get a clean finish out of it with a guy that, that admittedly was not over and ready. Vince hired Mark Merrill because of what he saw, uh, as it relates to sizzle, you know, Mark's an athlete and a wonderful guy. He's a lot better guy than he is an athlete. He was a great athlete. But, uh, that just goes, that's all I'm saying. It's not Mark Merrill I'm talking about is we can't find a finish. We can't do a finish Conrad. Are you kidding me? So at that point, here we go. So Bischoff next, got a, Bischoff got a, yeah, he goes to interview uh, Missy Hyatt in her locker room and, uh, Meltzer would say Bischoff looked like he was auditioning for the WWF with his 1960s used car salesman, insincere overreacting. Of course, Missy was in the shower when Bischoff came yeah. in and Missy screamed and threw her shampoo at him. Well, it's funny to see one of the first write-ups of Eric Bischoff here in the observer, not very favorable. No, he had a good way of, well, here, here's the deal. Eric was a natural heel. Yeah. And you know, he's sometimes it could be said you're too good looking for your own good. I've never had that said about me. I know you probably have on many occasions, but. Nonetheless, uh, Eric's Eric's a little like Paul Heyman. And I say this in highest regard. They're both very good at what they do and they're easy to dislike. Well, the, uh, the next match is big Josh and he's going to pin black blood in five minutes and 39 seconds. Big Josh. We know is uh, going to be Matt born uh, or he is Matt born. He's going to be doink, uh, but black blood. A lot of our listeners may not know who that was. Catch everybody up. I don't have any idea. Oh, yes, you do. We talked about him uh, a couple of months ago. I forgot. <laughs> Just to be honest. Uh, no, I'm with it. it. Here's the thing. He's under a silly hood. You'll have to look him up. You may not recognize him at first, but it's the old Billy Jack Haynes. And he's dressed in quite a goofy outfit here. Uh, he's got the crazy mask on. He's got the mullet out the back, but Billy Jack here is uh, black blood. He wasn't around long enough to commit him to memory. No, Meltzer would say nobody cared about either of these two, but their work in the ring was solid and stiff. Finish saw blood about to hit Josh with the ax. When Dustin Rhodes grabbed the ax handle and blood or hit blood in the knee. And then Josh inside cradled him <sighs> star in three quarters. But I do want to talk about Dustin because Meltzer clearly takes issue with everything. Dusty touches, including Dustin. That made four people that Dustin had single-handedly beaten on this show. I got to tell you, as a kid watching at the time, I didn't think that Dustin was overpushed, but when I did get to sit down with Mr. Hurd, 
he couldn't help, but talk about it where oh, and dusty had to be pulled back. He was trying to push that kid of his to the moon and he's a great kid, but dusty hurt him by pushing him so hard. What say you? I can see that it could have, could have uh, brought him along a little easier, a little slower, more deliberately where it meant more. Uh, certainly the kid was, uh, at the kid then he's 50 now for God's sakes. He can still, he's better than 98% of the people I see working on TV every week, uh, is, is Dustin. Uh, it was the same thing could be said for uh, cowboy son, Eric. He should have been in a territory hidden somewhere working in developmental of some sort. And, uh, instead he's on one of the longest running television shows in the genre's history on the Saturday night TVS wrestling too much too soon, but that's, that's what you are. Promoters do that. Look at all the promoters that, that push their sons and some of them worked out well and some of them didn't, uh, you know, Jeff and Jerry, it worked out. Okay. Most Jeff's a good hand and he, he got on TV when he was more ready than a lot of these cats. But there's a bunch of them. Like the Von Erichs kind of worked out okay, aside from the personal tragedies. But this was a, a was not good, and uh, I don't think Dustin was ever totally happy anyway there in that era. I think he had his best days as uh, Goldust. He owned that character. He made it his. He couldn't make. He was everything else was was in his dad's image. Yeah, and he was a defiant young male that thought he could, he thought he knew what he was supposed to do. So I, I saw a more creative happiness in, in Dustin when he was, uh, a gold dust and doing, and refining and getting that gold dust character together at any other time, by the way, he's also, uh, training kids. Yes, he is. Or outside of Austin. Uh, he's got a school down there and it's, uh, from what I'm told it's done really well it is and uh so that's that's all good stuff roads wrestling academy.com is where you can find out more about it yeah uh he's got a lot of great young talent coming up there i know he's really motivated active engaged if he's excited about it it's going to work so this is going to work so check it out roads wrestling academy.com great friend of the show i'm sure that we will uh, see some of those young men and women in austin yes i'm sure uh hope they got a ticket if they don't have a ticket, they should call Conrad. Yeah, sure. Why not? He, hey, he can, he can do it. Let's talk about your man here. Yeah. Listen, some of these ideas on paper make a lot of sense. People want to see scaffolds. People want to see cage matches. People want to see giants. So let's put Eligante in there with the one man gang. Yes. Six minutes and nine seconds. Spencer would write. Eligante came down to the ring with four midget wrestlers who ran around biting gang in the butt and harassing Kevin Sullivan. This was really bad. Although gang did take a slam off the top rope, which is pretty impressive considering his size. Eligante got the claw on Sullivan who gave gang powder before he could throw the powder. Eligante kicked his hand and the power went powder went in gang's face and gang or Eligante rather clothesline gang from behind for the pin negative half a star. Yeah. One man gang, Eligante, and little people. WCW 91 is a weird time. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, Eligante wasn't ready for, for the TV either. Correct. Uh, it's that insatiable urge to be different for the sake of being different. It's, uh, the influence from, uh, other Turner, uh, entities I've mentioned Turner home entertainment, uh, everybody, everybody that read the observer. And I, I, I often wonder how many people in those departments didn't read the observer or the torch. And by reading those, they became educated. Yeah. They got, they got their degrees. So, uh, yeah, he, he should not have been on television if so only on videotape and only on pre-recorded edited pieces of business, protect him at all costs. And, you know, the idea was once we saw how, uh, you know, George's, uh, aptitude for pro wrestling was you getting ready for one match Conrad and he comes in, he, he's done all these things. And he's finally, he has one match and, and let him roll on, go about bouncing that basketball again. I told you the story of the fact that he goes back home and he, he did, he's broke because people bled, bled him to death when he's, uh, working and that good old Harvey Whippleman was contributing to El Gigante's, uh, bills. Uh, and a lot of people never knew that you think Harvey's a manager or he's a kind of a utility guy and, and George is making for six figures plus. And he had no money and your old, poor old Harvey comes in to bail his ass out. So he's kind of him being, he is good man. So, uh, I can see why rock always took to Harvey or he's a good person, but this match should never have happened. You got one man gang Conrad, unless he's going to go to WC, go to, go to WWE right now. Uh, the wrong guy went over. Yeah. First of all, Elegante should not even been booked. Right. Athletic big men that know how to work heel and cut a promo. As I said earlier, repeating it, they don't grow on trees, but unless you have a decision maker that totally understands that, uh, you're not going to cultivate and nurture this investment. And, uh, and I've always thought that one man gang is one of the best, uh, super heavyweights ever, ever. And we treat him like he's just, just another big guy, the Mohawk. Well, next up, we got Nikita Koloff and sting in a chain match. They're going to go 11 and a half minutes. Meltzer would say some good pops for low blows. Both guys touched the first three corners and brawled for a while. Then sprinted to hit the fourth corner with Nikita hitting it first. Sting gave Nikita a low blow with the chain after the mat after the match was over two and a quarter stars. So Nikita wins. Uh, you rarely see that, but I like it. I like the booking and I even like Sting showing the hardened edge afterwards doing a low blow on Nikita. So these are the first sort of real stars on the whole show. We're like, I don't know, more than two hours in to this card so far. But the crowd reacts to him big and they're really with this match. You know, Nikita in 91, a lot of people would say is not the same Nikita from five years prior, but still pretty, pretty good match. Pretty fun match here. Yeah. Uh, Nikita had downsized. He wasn't as massive. Yeah. Uh, but still he had that obvious charisma and he had, he still had it. Uh, this wasn't as much of it that then, uh, there was prior to that, he would look more like a hawk or animal or some of those big dudes. 
uh, and they all went to the same high school, I think. Uh, or they did, they went to rival schools. They're all right there in Minneapolis, Robinsdale, I thought. So, uh, yeah, that would, that match, I think people were just waiting on something. Yeah, for sure. And that's what they got. And it was good. You know, it was a solid match. I'm not big on these, uh, touching all four corner things. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't capture me as much as it maybe should, but, uh, I think it waters it down a little bit. So, but I don't know what else you would do, but nonetheless, it's, it's again, you book yourself into a match that has limited finishes. And that's what we had here. The steel, but those guys did good. God almighty that they, they didn't have the table set for them very stringently. But anyway, it's, uh, for the, for the crowd and the atmosphere and the ambiance of the room, uh, they did a hell of a job. So let's get to the world title match before we do, I guess we should remind everybody flair has the big gold belt. Um, flair had to put up a deposit when he won the world title, which was $25,000. He never got that deposit back. So he kept the belt. And as the famous story goes to prove to Vince that, no, this time is different. I'm really coming this time. I'm not going to say I'm coming and then not come. Cause I think flair had done that at least two other times flair overnights, Vince McMahon, the big gold belt. So they know for sure he's really coming now. Uh, but now that we have to sort of let the show go on here in WCW, we'd no longer have a world title. So they order a new one from Reggie parks. Most people refer to it as the Ron Simmons belt or the Vader belt. That's the one that is synonymous with this era of WCW, but it's not yet finished because by God, he just left two weeks ago. They haven't made it yet. <laughs> so what do they do instead? They take an old Florida championship wrestling territory belt that dusty had, and, uh, they sort of gimmick it up with another plate on top that says world champion. And they try to shoot around it and not show it in different photo ops and stuff. They would even not show the belt, but you could sort of see that there was one there that would use a tag belt. I mean, we don't think about that very often, but this has never happened before. We've never needed a backup belt. What do you mean? We don't have the belt, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's again, another embarrassment. Not paying attention to the details. The main event is weird to say the least. As a reminder, it was promoted as Ric Flair versus Lex Luger in a cage match. Now it's Lex Luger versus Barry Windham in a cage match. Now, normally when you have a cage match, it's because there's been a lot of interference. This is now going to be the blow off. It's going to be the big crowning moment. We're finished with this. We're going to settle some scores. But these guys don't hate each other. They're just both the number one contenders, but we promised a cage match. So we still like, we feel have to deliver it. So we do, but you know, that Barry Windham's not winning the goddamn thing. When he comes to the ring and they spell his name, W I N D A M on the graphic, there's no H in Windham. Uh, either way, tough situation. The crowd is all over you guys chanting. We want flair. And unfortunately Luger and Windham still have to go have a match and it's not the best Meltzer would say Wyndham worked as a baby face and Luger as a heel, but nobody picked up on it. Wyndham did some hot stuff, especially when one considers his size, lots of near falls and good mood. Mr. Hughes come to the ring. Wyndham was distracted by Hughes and race told Luger to do it. Luger gave Wyndham a pile driver and pinned him. And after the match, Luger left with race and Hughes. Although nobody knew it, Luger did turn heel. I think Wyndham turned face, but even I'm not sure about that three stars. 
They tried their best to make the best of a bad situation. We're putting Mr. Hughes and Harley race. We're trying to smarten up everybody that, Hey, those are bad guys and you know it. So don't cheer for Lex, but I don't know, man, in hindsight, if Rick really was leaving, was there another opportunity or is it going to be damned no matter what, if Rick's not there, I think you're going to be damned no matter what, if Rick's not there. Yeah. That's the way it was handled. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, so awkward, so unnecessary comes back strictly. And I know it's, it may sound old school, but guess what? That's me. Common sense doesn't have an age. Yeah. Common sense doesn't have a demo. Uh, and you, we just, the little details were overlooked. Uh, everybody worked covering their ass. Uh, it's just, it was just horrible. It, and like I said, I went to, uh, I was suffering the whole show. So my memory of this show is foggy to say the least. Uh, I didn't, I re, I was reluctant to take any pain medicine, but boy, I loaded up on it. When I got to the hospital, they, they saw I was in bad shape and I missed my, my only TV I ever missed over illness or something was the next day. I couldn't work. Right. Uh, you know, and a lot of guys listening have had kidney stones know what I'm getting at. It's just, it's amazingly, it's, it's miserable. So, uh, I didn't give a shit about the show. I was just, I just wanted this is the first time I can recall doing a pay-per-view that I truly wanted the some bitch to get over with. I just, I was in so much pain. I was hurting the show sucked. We could hear it. Nobody would tell us that. This is not what they want to see. We get it. Right. But you just got to do your best and it's hard to, you gotta, you gotta just go find that passion somewhere and recreate it to the best of your ability. So it doesn't sound like you're shilling too bad and, and, and do your work. That's kind of the only option we had. This is not nearly the uh, big crowning moment that a lot of people wanted it to be for Lex Luger or Barry Windham. This has got to be, uh, I think you used to say on the air, oh, this is like kissing your sister. That's gotta be what this is, right? I mean, you, you always dream of hopefully being world champion one day, then you finally get the opportunity. It's just a fucking mess. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, it was just sad that the company had degenerated to that. And if you had astute people above Mr. Hurd. That actually gave a shit about pro wrestling. Then you would have, these issues would have been, as I suggested earlier, you saw the biggest problem you got now. And if you got to, you got to reduce cost, find it somewhere else, not in Ric Flair. Uh, it's my, my take on that deal. Pay him what he needs, keep him happy. And let him do his magic about helping get somebody else over. Look, Rick was doing a great job of getting Stingle until Sting got hurt. But a lot of things happened out of many of our control, but it still was very uh, disheartening to see the company, the infrastructure be so tentative and to have bullshit uh, finishes and cold booking and and all for no reason. 
There's no reason whatsoever. But uh, for those who watch it, God bless you. Because it was hard for Tony not to watch, I can promise you. We're not done, by the way. We've still got the main event. Uh, I'm kidding. That was the main event, but it's not last. It's Missy Hyatt teaming with Rick Steiner to take on Arn Anderson and Paul Lee in a cage match. Now, this is not the original plan. Here's what was written up. What happened here is that the Maryland state athletic commission has a rule prohibiting man versus woman confrontations. Somebody made you, he made a huge mistake. If that's the case, if the commission wasn't going to allow it, it had no business being advertised as such. If the company knew, well, we already knew this is a dishonest company. If the company didn't know, then the commission is at fault. Considering the match had been advertised on TV for weeks. Murdoch and Dick Slater kidnapped Missy, who now has black hair before the match and carried her away. Poor Missy still had to take a bump because a fan went after Murdoch and he dropped Missy on her head. So she could take a pop <laughs> of the fan. Oh Lord. <sighs> in the ring, Rick laid Arn Anderson out with a uh, clothesline, then pinned Polly e after a clothesline in two minutes and eight seconds. It's a dud. And that is the last memory that you have from watching this pay-per-view. We were promised Missy in a cage. We don't get it. Instead, we get a clothesline and that's it for Arn Anderson. Perhaps the worst ending to a pay-per-view ever. Is this near the top of the list or is this number one, the worst pay-per-view you've ever been a part of? I'd have to say this is the worst pay-per-view I've been a part of. Uh, it was just, you know, we, a lot, and a lot of us, not, and I'm certainly not the only one. A lot of us, Conrad, are working our ass off. Yes. Working in a, all, everywhere you turn, there's another controversy. Everywhere you turn, there's a, well, I had a call, I had to talk to Flair today or, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's like a dog chasing its tail. It just, nothing was ever settled. So, uh, I, I feel badly about folks that had to watch it and actually pay their money for it. Uh, I think we have to have that attitude about our audience. Uh, we can't shortchange them or bullshit them, especially with so much social media, uh, information flow. Uh, it's even more important to do everything as right as you possibly can every time out. And, uh, again, I'm sure here's the most ludicrous part of this. There are probably people in WCW thought that was a good show because they got their way. They got to do some of their own booking. Hey, let's have a scaffold. Let's just have this. Then Dusty, did Dusty book this show? You got to think so. Well, then, uh, what he's trying to do is just get back in everybody's good graces as well. Same thing you would do or me, I would do if the, if the head company, the, the home office is saying, we want this and your first, your first booking back as the, as the head honcho, you kind of want to try to do what they want to do, whether it's right or wrong, it seems like, but uh, that would be my philosophy. But I think along the way, you got to disagree, not be afraid to disagree. Don't confront them, just converse with them. And let them see that we can't do this. And here's why, but here's the better idea. Perhaps listen to this one, you make them a part of it. Let them contribute a little here and there, but, uh, it was, it was tough. I don't remember a show that I did that. I liked worse. I mean, my little element aside, uh, one thing, uh, what's what it was Poor me. Uh, but just the lead up to it, all the starts and stops you think about it, your top guy in your whole territory, yeah. he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out, he's gone. No, he's not. He may not be gone. We may do this. 
when you go off him 750 grand and he worked, he didn't work, he didn't work a, a thousand dates, uh, I say facetiously, but you really screwed things up because I guaranteed me, man, didn't offer him any guarantee. How's that? Yeah. One of the guys that came in, we're going to use you. Well, we're going to, you get paid. Well, they're calling right now to see if you can get him another payday. Yeah. Hey, let's jump in. Let's do a few questions. Then we'll wrap this one up. We're getting ready Love for to. next week. By the way, next week we're doing a watch along from where Vince brings back. Uh, this is an interesting concept, by the way, July 15th, 2002, the unthinkable happens. Eric Bischoff debuts and Vince kills the NWO. It's an interesting little time capsule from 19 years ago. Yeah. We're going to go read back and or go back and take another look at next week. Uh, job. So bro. Wanted to know why in God's name did the horrific tag match go on last? It wasn't a good match or a good payoff. It was awful. The thinking there is you got to get, you've promoted a cage. So you've just got to have a minute to put the cage up. And if you spend all that hype showing the cage match or setting it up, and then it starts with that, you really kill your main event, right? You just put it on yeah. lame duck last. Yeah. Yeah. And well, they thought, you know, Missy being in, it would be a different deal, different twist. The idea there is to send them home happy. Yes. And you got that by beating both Heyman and Arn. So that was the theory. So I don't have a, there's no logical explanation for it, but it just followed suit with this whole ill-advised pay-per-view. And so I, I it doesn't make sense, but it, it's what the decision makers felt like needed to be done. I was not a fan of this decision, but, and, but if it worked out great, then cool, but it didn't. And it wasn't going to, uh, they had very little confidence in, uh, in Lex and Barry, apparently with Harley and Mr. Hughes involved. It just, it, it just was a, a fait accompli to go with uh, Missy and, and, uh, Rick Steiner and all that stuff. And we knew the rules, you know, the same, they had, a, they had very strange rules in Maryland, the blood, the intergender stuff. I don't know how it is nowadays with that, but nonetheless, in that era, it was a no, no public enemy. Number one says if flair didn't leave and it was flair Luger, would Luger have still gone heel with Harley as his manager while beating flair for the title? Well, that's hard to say, but it could have happened. It, it would have made it more effective if Rick and Lex had a quasi rough baby face match and then Harley and Mr. Hughes and Luger form this, uh, unholy alliance to screw Nate out of the title. Then Lex would have really been a good heel. It, he would have been a legit heel, but screwing flair out of the title would have been the, the, the key there. But you know, I, I don't know what the, I don't know if I have a, could have an answer to that, uh, public Linda, Linda <laughs> Uh, Dan Potts uh, wants to know once flair left, would a one night tournament have worked better to crown a new champion? It might've, it might've, I, I, it, there, at least there would have been a story behind it. There would have been a bill behind it. And we got to the match to determine the new champion. There would have been a story established leading into it, which you would hope would create a little bit of momentum. So there's a good chance that could have been the answer to that would have been yes. Last one. Then we'll wrap this one up. Gene Jackson wants to know, had Harley race shown up at either bash 88, Starcade 88, wrestle war 90 or capital combat 90 and yelled at Luger. Now's the time. 
and he won the world title sooner would it have changed people's perspective on Luke uh, on Lex moving forward. Absolutely. Of course it would have, uh, flair passing the torch to Luger would have should have made Luger a made man. Yeah. Don't you think I do, but that's what we talked about. We did those Lex Luger shows. Just, by the way, got great response from our, from our, uh, our audience. Uh, we, which we appreciate, but he got booked, started, stopped and backed off and restarted and reset so many times that he, it just is it wasn't going to work. It was what we stumbled and fell, fall, just muffed, whatever. It's horrible. And, uh, but again, it goes back to communication and management and, and bringing the talents in and setting them in a room and discussing this program and everything instead of doing everything on the phone or through a lawyer, Jesus got to give me a break. You bring the two guys going to work into a, a, the office. And you sit down, you have a meeting, you carve out a, an agenda. Okay. Here's what we'd like to do, but we want to exchange ideas. You tell us what you, what you like, what you don't like and why and let us see. We can't fix everything. It's all creative. This stuff we write is fiction. So we can create fiction in, in any form that we choose, but we need your help to do it correctly. That was never done. Well, here's something that's not fiction. JRSBBQ.com is your hookup. <laughs> we got you covered for almost everything you're looking for. We got the mustard. We got the ketchup. We got two types of sauce and a lot of other collectibles too. Right, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. And did a lot of book business there. You know, I signed, uh, I personalized under the black hat, uh, and, uh, that's been a real popular seller. And I'm sure again, for the holidays, it will be once again, but for any birthday, you know, any special occasion, thank yous, things, things like that. It's pretty cool. Cause I could, we have a place there where you order at jrsbbq.com where you can tell me what you would like for me to write in a book. So that's kind of a cool deal. Uh, we're, I was told this week that, uh, by the, but before July ends, we'll have all the seasoning back in stock. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I cooked, uh, I cooked some burgers just, uh, for lunch today and, uh, with, uh, part of that seasoning yeah, it's it's really good. So, but of course I'm biased. Of course it's going to say it's good. So it's all good, man. It's, uh, jrsbbq.com. We got all kinds of specials, you know, flash sales, this, that, and the other. So neat stuff. We're selling a lot of those little, uh, customized, really cool. Have you seen those, uh. Moscow mule mugs, the JR mugs. Oh yeah, I have pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty neat work, man. That's clean and it's good. It's, it's a, it's a classy piece of business. So, uh, we appreciate everybody's help, you know, support. We're not a big operation, so it's gotta be a team effort between us, like your, my friends, like you and others that can help me and are willing to help me, which I love. And the audience is listening today, you know, give us a shot. Order something. If you don't like it, I'll promise you, you won't, you won't, uh, you won't regret it. We'll take care of you. I always have always will. It's a fucking bottle of sauce. Really? If you don't, if you get it, and you don't like it. Email us back. We'll figure out something. I promise you. Check it out. JRSBBQ.com. And don't forget to, uh, program your DVR. You're going to catch Jim Ross every week calling AEW dynamite. Uh, and they're back <laughs> on the road and, uh, making towns near you, uh, be sure to check out tickets at AEW 
I'm sure that Raphael Morphy and Mr. Khan, and of course, Mr. Ross, Mr. Shivani, they'd love to see you there. Uh, yep. Wrestling is back, man. And, uh, it's on the road and it's in front of live crowds. And we're going to be back next week talking and watching WWE's Monday night raw from July 15th. Oh, two Eric Bischoff is a part of the world wrestling federation. Hell has frozen over. We'll pick it up the following week. We're going to talk about the invasion pay-per-view and oh, what could have been in July yep. of 2001. And then we'll finish out the month of July, uh, talking about triple H in 95 and 96. And we even had a fun idea since this is the 25 year anniversary of uh, Hulk Hogan turning heel uh, as a little bonus for adfreeshows.com. We're going to have Jr. watch that match where Hogan turned heel. And, uh, that could be kind of fun, uh, to have him watch an old Tony Schiavone call sure. and, uh, see him turn bad guy. It's all happening right now over at adfreeshows.com. You get all these shows early and ad free. And, uh, we got some, some big things planned coming up later this summer for adfreeshows.com. I can't recommend it enough. How about you, Jim? I love it, man. Uh, like I, I told you before, if this has been around when I was a kid, my dad has been whipping my ass every day. Cause I promise you, I would not got my chores done. It's just amazing. So I love the ad free network and you got such a great team. It's, you know, you get, you get a lot of credit and rightfully so you thought of all this shit. But boy, you got a good team around yes, you we that do. contribute mightily. And, uh, I have great respect for everybody I've worked with and the ad free shows group. And I also want to say this, to the fans, those of you that expressed yourself after my faux pas on the show the other night, uh, it really means a lot to me that many of you still have confidence that I can get my job done. You have to understand when you get to be my age, you I'm not, it's not a secret that I'm on the, I'm, I'm, I've called more years than I got left. I get it. I'm not a, I'm not a fool, but it's important for some of us to keep feeling that we're, we have a value and that we have, we can still contribute to the thing that we love the most. So for those of you that support that, I thank you. And as you get older or you talk to your parents or grandparents, wherever it may be. You'll understand what I'm getting, what I'm saying Yeah, is that you really will Conrad. So I, I thank everybody for it. And you were right there on the spot. You know, I know, I know I'm going to get a good text of Conrad and he right at right Johnny on the spot. So that's when you can tell you got a true friend. And I found out I got lots of true friends over this little setback. And we're going to be watching every single week. You are the voice of wrestling and we can't wait to hear from you this Thursday and every Thursday right here. On grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Heavy on that, Mister Baby, and uh, thanks for watching, everybody. Supporting what we do, we love you. Appreciate you. See you next week. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.